hello and welcome to episode 110 of the 1099 for the week of September 18th, 2017. I am your host, Josiah Renauden. Uh, very nasally and sick sounding. I, I've been flying all over the place during the hurricane. So if I sound like a new person, I promise it's still me. I'm just super stuffy. Uh, with me today is someone who's hopefully feeling way better than me, a writer and designer at Supergiant Games, uh, which recently released Pyre on PC and PlayStation 4, as well as the former editor in chief at GameSpot, Greg Kasavin. Greg, thanks so much for coming back on. How are you doing today? I'm doing well. Uh, thanks for having me back on. It's good to talk to you again. Yeah, it's been a long time. I, I, I feel like the last time we talked, it was like, it might have been fresh off transistor. Yeah, it, close it must have. It must have been. I, um, if I had to guess, that sounds about right. So yeah, yeah. it's been it's been a few years, and uh, it got it got another game out there. So that, <laughs> that's all. That's all I have to show for myself uh, in the last in the last few years. <laughs> yeah, this is like a hundred episodes of this podcast later. You're back on, so it's 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 come full circle. Um, and before we actually dig into the game, first off, congratulations because I know how much goes into a project like this and how maybe crazy rewarding stressful and everything it is when you launch a game so first off like that's great uh but for you are you someone who as soon as you release a game do you have a ritual do you go on a beach and just drink like mojitos and avoid the world for a bit or do you stay on twitter look at reviews watch metacritic do you kind of have a i just released a game i need to get away from the world ritual or no yeah, so uh, several uh, I have I have answers to uh <laughs> to all those different questions that may not be the same. I don't really have a um I I wouldn't say I have any kind of uh, ritual. Uh, I haven't even thought of it that way. Um it, it's just yeah, I probably should because it's a big deal um and and ga- game launches are something I've never like fully gotten used to cuz there's there's just a lot that's gone into it as you suggested. Uh, up until the moment that it comes out and then it is kind of it's life-changing in the sense that uh what what my life looked like you know before just what a typical day in my life is like before and after is really really different so it's a very like jarring process of of uh you know over the course of like the month after a game comes out uh you're just in a really different spot at least in my case but i i uh for me, it's more like the the act of working on a game is so like hermit like herm- <laughs> hermetic is hermetic yeah. uh, in 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 the manner of a hermit. So I I feel like I haven't like sp- spoken to another human being in months and months. So <laughs> it was good to finally you know just sort of get out there and be able to just do things other than work on the game all the time. Um, but but it's kind of like a you know it's like a recovery process, honestly. Um, it, it's, it's just, you have to, uh, like, just change what your days look like and change a lot of your habits, um, hopefully for the better, uh, cause it, it at least for me, it's really, really busy at the end and my life kind of revolves around it for better or for worse. Yeah. Um, so, so then w- when I'm no longer actively working on the game anymore, it's like, oh, suddenly I have all this time. I should probably <laughs> spend some time with my kids uh, and my family and stuff like that. I feel like crunch has been a big topic lately with like the, you know, people that don't know when you approach the end of a project, people are putting in crazy hours to get it done, to get it polished so that there's not this massive day one patch because of that. And how much you just spend looking at this game, you mentioned going with your family and spending time with your kids. And when you're done, do you avoid playing video games as soon as a project is done at that point? Are you just, even if it's not your game anymore, you're like, I don't even want to think about game design. I want to just turn my brain off from this industry for a bit. 
Uh, n- uh, no. Like on the contrary, I c- I kind of more do the opposite and start like at least in the case of this game. Again, I, I it's not a it's not a pattern for me, but um with with Pyre, um I was busy enough uh for a long time on it to where most of this year at least I hadn't been I just hadn't been keeping up with. Uh, I've been reading about all the games that have been coming out, but I haven't actually been playing them. So I've just mm-hmm. been like, at, like literally keeping a list of all the games I want to play. You know, it's 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 all the big stuff like Zelda and you know uh, weirder stuff that I care a lot about, like Near Automata and stuff, mm-hmm. and just a, a lot of tons of other uh, smaller games as well. Um, and I hadn't played any of them, so kind of over the last few weeks, I finally started just just digging into all of those. Um, so I, I've been playing games a lot more. I, I did, like, at least probably for about a week after it came out, I think it was more like what you suggested, where um, it was it was a little tough to get back into, into playing games because you just... I start to experience them. Th- this is really terrible. I start to experience <laughs> them as, like, a series of production decisions. Yep. Just, like, it can... That part is a little unfortunate, but I think anyone who like works who goes from you know being like a fan of something like a hobbyist you know you love music and now you work on music or you you love you love reading now you're a writer there's there's a certain something changes when when it does become your profession and more just uh, and not just your hobby where um where you you can't just you can't just enjoy it in exactly the same way and you do experience it from like a behind the scenes kind of perspective and understanding the choices that other developers have made and stuff like that. So, so that part is a little, yeah, I I need to like sort of shut off that part of my brain and learn to like enjoy games again. But I, I, I've already, that only takes me a couple of days and now I'm, you know, I'm back in it, but game, you know, I'm in this stuff because I love games and, and always have. So that's, that's not very difficult for me. Um, so it's been nice. I mean, this year has been this year has been nuts. Uh, as no, far it's as been like insane for good the games. Of, yeah, so there's just a lot to catch up on. As someone who didn't just complete a project, I'm still struggling to catch yeah, up with stuff. Exactly. So I couldn't even imagine. And yeah, what you said before is interesting because I feel like the more developers I talk to, the more it sounds like they almost, as they're playing games, they're breaking them down into their individual parts and not. Uh, negatively question, questioning different design decisions, but trying to understand, okay, why did this happen? Or this is probably why they did this. Yeah. I had Mike Laidlaw on here, who uh, is creative director of Dragon Age recently. Um, and he talks about with his streams, he's playing Firewatch and he's like turning a bend. He's like, oh, they designed it this way so they can load the next sequence in here. And I, you mentioned you can turn it off, but is that like an active decision where you have to? I, I took a film class where the, the the professor's main thing at the start was I'm going to make you that annoying person watching movies where you're pointing stuff out you're thinking about all of the shots the lighting why yeah. this is happening instead of just watching a movie yeah so that's a good uh, that's a good analogy so like I'm I'm glad uh, he used the the term annoying like it is annoying right like <laughs> to to be um it, it can it can get to the point to where it's a little bit stifling uh, to have the attitude of like over over when it's something that's meant to be experienced and enjoyed if you if you are like there with your notepad and so on and just like constantly analyzing and not and not absorbing um yeah. you're 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 maybe not I, I i'm not one to say you're experiencing it incorrectly but when i i i don't enjoy experiencing things that way um so for me it's i guess it's not about turning off 
that voice in my head, it's making sure that my own tendency to be annoying and analytical when it comes to those things, I, I kind of tell that part of me to to shut up a little bit and, and just like, I, I need to just be able to kick back and and enjoy the stuff for what it is and not just like experiencing it, like I said, with my kind of producer hat on uh, <laughs> as, a, as a series of, you know, opportunity cost motivated decisions, you know, based around yeah. a but yeah, there's still there's still part of me that, that that's of course uh, incredibly interested in those aspects. Like one of the first things I do um, when I when I play a you know I'll play a new game for like an hour or something, and then if the if I have the option to check the credits, I like to check the credits like pretty quickly, both just to see the makeup of the team and see how many people worked on it, and start to get an impression of you know just how big of a production. Um, it really is, and that's something yeah. that I think back when I back before I was always interested in who made games, but I think my um my attunement to the the like the staff that that goes into making a game is very different now that I work in game development myself. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, even again, just working on one project. I remember when I was younger, the credits is always the first thing you skipped. Like, how quickly yeah. can I press start or X over this? And now it's, man, I really enjoyed the the music in this. Who was on that team? Yeah. Or I really enjoyed how this game felt. Like, where did that come from? And understanding who did that. And I think it all goes into maybe this broader general interest in how games are made that's coming up. Maybe based off developers being more open on Twitter to talk about it and also a lot of like the media covering games in a different way that people seem to care kind of how the sausage is made even though uh, you look at uh, Jason Trier's Blood, Sweat, and Pixels book, it, it's kind of continues to confirm that it's incredible that games ever actually release. Yeah. Like with what goes into it it seems like it's it's insane. Um, and it's, speaking of things that developers know that we might not I, I feel like everyone I've talked to from you know everyone on this podcast and everyone I've worked with when a game is about to release, the developers have a good idea about the strengths and weaknesses of their game. They're, they're, you're not often blindsided by a review because if someone points something out, you're like, yep, well, that had, you know, that maybe wasn't as good as it could have been because of this, this, and this. Or, yes, that was the best part of the game because of this, this, and this. But since Pyre's release, have you had a reaction, whether it be critically or just maybe a community-wide reaction that you didn't expect, whether it be positive or negative, something that you're like, I would have never imagined people seeing the game in this certain light. Um, so I, I think I, I definitely agree with the statement that in my experience and, and among developers I've spoken to, I think, I think generally developers have a pretty good sense of what they're putting out there. Uh, they, their sense of what they're putting out there exists within like a range. Um, so it's like a this is a long way of me saying I haven't really encountered anything that mm. that was super surprising to me because I I anticipate such a broad range of responses at this point that that um whether someone says it's the absolute worst hot garbage or <laughs> it's it's an incredibly moving, you know, one of a kind experience and they're getting a tattoo of it on their arm even as we speak like that entire range of possibility is something i'm i'm i like go into the launch kind of anticipating um so when i when i sort of set myself up that way i it's it's less likely that i'm going to get surprised by anything and and it's strange to talk about it that way but but i think like 
having worked on several games at Supergiant now, we, we've seen a broad gamut. Um, I've seen a broad gamut of responses and, and it's the internet like yep. for each, for each person who absolutely um, unabashedly adores something, there's going to be someone who just intensely hates it um, and is deeply offended by it. Um, so, so yeah, uh, I, I kind of went into, I went into the launch as I go into every launch sort of, uh, I guess, uh, both, both feeling prepared for whatever is going to happen and also nervous about it because I obviously would rather the ratio of people who love it be much, much higher than the people yeah. who hate it. Uh, but I, I, but anyway, I've been really, um, I was, I was really, I was really, really pleased with the, with the response to, to Pyre. Um, it was like, it's an unusual game for us. And I think just in general, in a lot of ways. And I was really like the, the peop many of many people whose opinions I care about the most, um, which largely consists of like fans of our previous games um and and also uh, some critics out there um they they really they got something out of it that that I was really happy about um and for me the the game was a really bit it was a really big challenge uh, for me to work on so above all I was I was just relieved to see that um uh like I think in general the response uh, to the characters and the world uh which were aspects of the game that that uh were the focus of of my of of much of my time that that those aspects were well received so uh i yeah game development is like a scary process uh and and i value the um l like how how my work is received uh mm. matters to me a lot um it's yeah. it's really important to me um so i'm i i i mostly am just relieved that uh, it was as well regarded uh, as it was uh, out out the gate, and then I'm kind of curious to see where where the hindsight on it shakes out, which and you know inherently takes time. But I I think there's a fascinating phenomenon where um, how games are initially regarded when they come out is really not the same always as how they're perceived um, with the benefit of hindsight. And in fact, there's some games where um, like you would never know like from how Sometimes there are games that are like seem so deeply reviled, and then you look back and it's like, man, this like won every award when it came out. Like, <laughs> is this the same game? Like, what happened here? But we, um, so, so that that phenomenon is really interesting to me. That like, uh, and and thankfully though, our uh, I don't know. Yeah, I'll I, I I shouldn't I shouldn't say more because I'm actually like even superstitious about it. I I'll, I'll be curious <laughs> to see how uh, what people say about this game, you know, later on down the line. But it's nice. Mm. It's nice that you know, uh, our fans have been really favorable to our previous games uh, over time, uh, to Bastion and Transistor. So I hope uh, it'll be the same with this one. Obviously, the hindsight thing is really interesting because I feel like maybe I'm just paying more attention to it. It feels like it's happening even more. Where you see a Final Fantasy 15 that kind of came out to pretty rave reviews, but now in retrospect, if you look at most Kotaku, Polygon, whatever articles, it's a mostly negative tinge to that where people kind of went all the way through the game and are like, maybe this wasn't as good as I thought. Or I mean, the most extreme examples, you look at League of Legends, where that was getting sixes and sevens and now is the, you know, the biggest game in the world. And it, it does seem like 
the initial review, you think about Polygon where they kind of had that initial idea of we'll update this review score later on. I don't even know if you need to do that anymore. Basically, you just, you can watch a community for a game and watch some of the almost the, the post release months down the line kind of interpretations from different freelancers and from different media. And, uh, very often you will see a game painted in an entirely different light than what it was at at release. Yeah. It's, it's at the same time, it's really hard to, to, there's like probably tons of kind of confirmation bias in those kind of responses. Like yeah. I used to, I used to say, yeah, I don't know to what extent that phenomenon uh, has changed over time, but I used to say how like if you check back in the days when World of Warcraft was the biggest game, you know, before before League, so this is a long time ago now. Um, you could like go into that forum on Blizzard, and if you just like evaluate, if you just look at that forum, you'd think you're looking at the most reviled game in the history of time. <laughs> it's like because because all the forum is is in the in that case it was just you know people. Is just people complaining about what they wanted to be better about the game. Um, you you wouldn't you wouldn't get the part that it's the biggest game in the world and and like a deeply loved game that people have invested willingly invested thousands and thousands of hours of their lives into this game. You just see people like absolutely hating it. So it's it depends on where you go. Um, it's hard to it's hard to tell. Uh, but but I think you know uh, the games that we've made that that are not these sort of game-as-service types of games. They're just kind of one-off games that you buy them and that's what you get. Um, you know, we'll, we'll continue to support them in, like a mod- in a relatively modest way, but there's no like expectation of uh, ongoing content updates and DLC and that sort of thing. Um, I th- it, you know, and as a result, we have a, a smaller community, but I, I, I uh, am glad that our, our players seem like they're pretty happy um they they we just try to make sure of that as much as as much as possible but i think every developer tries to do that you know it's it's hard to um i'm like i said i'm glad i'm glad that uh i think our our players uh, despite the differences between our games that they've been very willing to take chances on those games and and have uh thus far they've enjoyed them each in turn yeah the that's an interesting point because your games are pretty wildly different. You don't make sequels. You don't, you don't have another Bastion type game. I mean, Transistor and Bastion definitely have like similar roots that you can trace back. And I feel like there's usually maybe a presentation or just artistic kind of consistency between everything. But when you were making Pyre, I did the, lack of like free movement in the overworld and again slight spoilers if people have not played pyre at all maybe wait to listen listen to this entire thing i mean you get to move later on in the game around the world in sort of like an airship and uh you look at the heavy focus on dialogue where this feels in a sense at times like a, a visual novel in a sports game would that feel like a risk for your entire team because again bastion kind of had this action rpg element and transistor was this very strategic game in a completely different way than pyre so was there concern that you might lose the audience you would already build up because it was so different yeah sure i mean of course like there like, like i think i think if we um it's funny sometimes uh a, a term that comes up uh, that's used to de- describe our games, uh, both Transistor and Pyre. I've seen it in in previews and things like that. Is confident, like we have this. Uh, uh, our games are confident, um, mm. and I and I find that funny um, because uh, while we're working on them, uh, of course we have our 
we have our fears, you know, what will they say, what will they do? But it's like we silence those things and we move forward um, because there's what's what's the use? You know, if we if we had sufficient fear, we wouldn't have done it. Uh, It's simple as that. Um, So whatever fear we had, it must not have been enough to stop us because we did it. Um, And uh, back to a way you phrased it earlier. If we had positioned the game to ourselves as a visual novel slash sports game, like we just we would have laughed and then said, "Hell no, we're not going to make that." <laughs> we never we never would have made that game, and yet we did just make that game, right? So yeah. it's the same. Uh, our our games, uh, at least thus far, have been born of like a pretty kind of organic and iterative process. There's no pitch. There's no design document at any point. Um, so and we just kind of build it and add to it until it feels like it's uh, shaping up into something that we find interesting. Um, and so in the case of Pyre, it took on these characteristics, but it, it, it goes back even to Bastion where, you know, the quote-unquote pitch of that game would have been like, it's an action RPG where an old man talks to you the entire time. And that sounds terrible. Uh, it's a joke <laughs> I would make. That sounds absolutely terrible and it's reductive. Uh, but I think like sports game visual novel is like a, pretty reductive but not inaccurate way of describing pyre uh the same way as an action rpg where an old man talks to you the whole time uh is a reductive but not inaccurate way of describing bastion um so yeah we don't we don't get too hung up on maybe we should be more hung up on like what what will they say in that regard but we haven't been um thus far uh and and uh pyre is the result of that kind of development process we don't we don't really set out to we're not like trying to make things that are like different for the sake of it like we don't that's not how we enjoy games ourselves we're just trying to like uh we're just trying to make things that capture a certain feeling um and and put in and design the systems and and events that will contribute to that and um in the case of pyre we wanted to make a game with a bigger cast of characters that felt more like an rpg than our previous games, but that still uh, uh, had a had a narrative focus like our previous games. So it it kind of necessitated a number of these uh, types of changes um, compared with stuff we've made in the past. Yeah, I and this is a probably a very difficult question to answer. But if you don't really have this elevator pitch or like this main design doc at the start for Pyre, and you're like you said, you're yeah. you're seeing where development goes. Where do you start with something like that? I, I know. Even if you do have an elevator pitch at the start, very often that's going to change a hundred times long development as new ideas come along or as you realize this is not ambitious enough, this is too ambitious. When I was talking to the Dead Cells developers, which I, I love that game, that game started as a tower defense game, which is like, how did this happen? So I'm guessing there's a lot of turns along the way, but how do you even start? Yeah, so so there was no elevator pitch on 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 any of our games. Um including pyre so that so that answers that question really easily um the uh, but but we were absolutely interested in that that's not like that's not to say we were going after anything something random or like we didn't know what we were going for um so it was it did start from this place of wanting to make a multi-character game um and we were really interested in this uh in this theme of these characters trying to uh, work together to to free themselves uh from from exile um, so it would it would be set in this fa- this old feeling mythical feeling uh, fantasy world, um, and these characters would have to uh, y- you'd be able to get closer 
to these characters over over like a longer feeling experience than our previous games and help them to achieve uh, both their personal goals and some sort of shared goal. And so this sense of uh, kinship and, and cooperation um, and closeness, those were uh, ideas that we were very interested in uh, from the start that we explored uh, through the narrative and the and the systems. And so the gameplay around the rights, this sort of a this sort of mystical competition slash sport, uh, to use a, a term that that was taboo on our uh, in our own studio, but but that um, you know many many players used to describe the 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 gameplay, um, like having this pitched uh, competition between you and these other characters trying to free themselves. That was really interesting to us. Like we, we were very interested in particular in like sort of a non-lethal, uh, but high stakes uh, competition for the game, because if it wasn't lethal, it would mean that narratively it would, it would actually paradoxically be even higher stakes, uh, mm-hmm. than if it was lethal, because, uh, narratively, if a character is dead, they don't come back from that and they don't learn from that. Like they're just dead. But but if you if you suffer defeat, uh, you have to then wake up the next day and figure out what you're going to do and how you're going to carry on. And we wanted our characters to naturally get into these situations where things would be really like down for them, and they would have to pick themselves up um, and move forward um, to, in spite of their losses. Uh, yeah. So so that was those were ideas, and and then you know the the liberation rights, the idea around that was was there very early on like we were very interested in the idea of getting the and again this is i'm gonna i'm gonna assume i'm gonna assume that the spoilers are totally fine um basically uh we we really like this idea of getting you getting you uh, closer to these characters and then and then having to see them off like bid them sort of bon voyage um but not because they're dead uh, but because they've sort of gone to a better place and and you'll still hear from them you'll still feel their influence through the remainder of the story um but but they won't be there anymore so that will um we we really liked that as an idea as as like almost like an exact opposite to sort of the permadeath thing that that is more common and um and you know there there are many really cool examples of that like I love the the fire emblem uh, games, uh, they're they've been a big like narrative uh, inspiration for me for a long time, mm-hmm. um, as as like uh, as like ensemble cast games. But those are games where uh, you know they they only consist of unique characters. You have like dozens of really interesting characters, and most of them can basically just die at any point, and they're out of the game. They are freaking dead, um, yeah. and and it makes those games really intense. Um, and it makes you feel real bad when one of them dies, and it makes you want to start the start the level over. But you don't have to, and you could just kind of move forward with them being dead. Um, and uh, it was cool to sort of uh, go about that type of feeling, but in a really different way. Um, and and I think in like a more po- towards a more positive set of emotions than like they are dead, which is just not happy. <laughs> It's almost a perma life, which sounds strange. But <laughs> yeah. You're giving them back their life in a certain way, and yeah, like yeah. that was one of the. You mentioned the word kinship, and it, for me, it's not just between the characters in the game; it's also between you and the characters you like. It's the characters that you start yeah. attaching yourself to, the ones that, uh, especially closer to the end, when you're going through these liberation rights. My main goal was like, I want to just like 
squeeze everything out of each individual character, get as close to them as possible, get to know them before you do send them off. So you feel like when you're setting them off, it's, it's in good faith. It's not before they've resolved certain issues. It's not, yeah. you know, the first person I set off, I felt like, man, I didn't, I didn't do enough. I want to get closer to this yeah. person. Uh, as a writer, how difficult can it be to create these characters who I assume at least to a certain extent, maybe are based off people you've run into in your life or people who you appreciate that other writers have created in their stories. And you kind of like make this amalgamation of different things like that. So you get to know them, you watch them evolve and then leave them behind, not only for the player who watches them be liberated, but as a writer, you you put this to bed and you guys, again, you don't really make sequels. So do you ever have moments where you're like, man, I wish I could have done more with these characters I put so much into? Or is it almost, not to make a pun, liberating to move on to the next game and move on from these characters? Uh, Yeah, that's, that's a really interesting question. The, the characters are, are definitely like a... They're like a driving force for me while I'm working... Um, on on any of our games like the characters quickly start to take on a life of their own to me um and and i feel this is like weird to describe i guess but it's i i feel uh i feel a burden to them they 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 become they become real to me in a way uh, while i'm working on these games and i feel like i'm i'm sort of the person standing between the character and and their man how do i put this like i'm <laughs> i'm almost the um i feel a burden of responsibility to the characters i'll put it yes. that way um and and i have to do everything i can to let them be themselves in the world of the game express themselves um and and just do what perform their mission, you know, succeed in their own goals within yeah. the story. Um, and so, and that's, and that was uh, hard in, in something like Pyre, which just has many more characters in our previous games. But, but I felt, I felt good about the, the outcome at the end. Um, so, uh, but, but it took, you know, working down to the wire and last minute rewrites and yada, yada. There's like, it's, it's, it sucks to have to count on, you know, cool stuff happening at the last minute. I wish, I wish it could all be very orderly and uh, not not rely on, you know, uh, last minute saves and stuff. But uh, but I squeezed in pretty much everything I I hope to do with the characters um, before 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 we were done. Um, yep. As to whether. You know, I, I love all of our worlds and, and characters uh, very dearly. Um, so I would never say, like, I never want to go back there or whatever. Like, it's just so it's for. But but I also approach these stories assuming I never will. Yeah. Y you know what I'm saying? So it's like we it's really important to me that the stories of our games feel complete because I. I don't know for sure. This sounds a bit morbid, but I don't know for sure that I will ever like every time I'm working on a game, I feel like there's a pretty good chance that it'll be the last yeah. such game I work on. So I, I don't want to, I don't want to leave anyone hanging just in case like both because I think it's a better story if it doesn't leave people hanging. Like I, I'm not a fan of cliffhanger endings. I don't mm -hmm. think I, I don't enjoy them. Um, 
and I and I I'm I I feel if you put a very satisfying conclusion onto something, it can be just as persuasive in getting. Then if you want to like make a sequel or something, you know, people will be just as likely to want to experience that if they were like really happy yeah. <laughs> with the ending of the previous one than if you left them hanging. Uh, yeah, so, the Last of Us is one that sticks out for me, where that that game felt complete, but I still want to play The Last of Us too because I want to revisit that world, even if that first story is closed. Yeah, that's a great. That is a great uh, example where. Um, yeah, exactly. Um, the, the, though the, you know, I think I think that's like it's the sort of thing where if they never made another Last of Us game, it mm-hmm. would have been fine. Like yeah. that, it didn't it didn't leave you wanting. Uh, but but at the same time. Um, the, it's the game is so well executed and the world is so fully realized that hey, if they're going to make another game on on par with that one, go for it. Yeah, <laughs> like, I'm on board. I'm, exactly. I'm, That's how exactly. I felt as soon as I saw it. Where I'm like, I, I'm still ready to do more of this, yeah. and I'm not uh, in any way trying to get you to show your hand or make a headline here. But I mean, would you ever want to do a sequel? Would you want to do a Bastion two? You mentioned like, even though you are completing these stories, there's you love these worlds dearly they're close to you would, would there ever be an interest for you to do another similar style game to bastion and call it a bastion too yeah th- this is like a super cagey answer but it's like and this sound th- this is like i'm like i think even with my colleagues i'm like re- i can be really frustratingly non-committal about such things <laughs> like it's not these things are rarely a matter of what what do i want uh, personally uh, to the point where I rarely even give myself the chance to think that way, um, because I work on a team, um, mm-hmm. and and it's not, and it's just simply not up to me. It's just not like it, it's just not a matter of me say like. Uh, it, it really depends on what the team wants. Uh, we're 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 twelve we're twelve people, um, and nobody there. Uh, has has the power to just go this is what we're doing and uh, like i think individually we all have our own like pet dream projects probably maybe not everybody but but i i i certainly do there are games that uh but but um but the kind of stuff that we make at supergiant like the the secret sauce there is it it's part of all of us um and and we all contribute to it um so I think I think with if if ever there came a time when we decided to return to one of our worlds it would it would presumably be because that's what everybody at the team really really wanted um and and I don't know that set of circumstances has not come up thus far obviously um because it, ironically you know one typically once we're done working on a game we're not super enthusiastic about we're like pretty done we we feel we're we've explored that and we're ready to go and do something different but but hey it's been once it's been a few like we've been around for eight years now and stuff like that so anyway yeah we we've never uh i think the exciting thing for us is like we we actually don't know we don't know better than anybody we we don't know any more than anybody else what the future uh holds for us we don't have like a when I used to work at Electronic Arts, they had like a skew plan, right? Like they 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 thought they knew uh, what games they were making, like for the next like three years, and then in- in- invariably that that plan would change, and projects would get canceled, and 
new projects would get green lighted and so on. But at any given point, they have some sense, and they have to because they're it's a really big studio and they have to know what's going to keep their 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 teams busy um, over the long haul. But for us, we don't even start talking about what we're going to do next until until we're um, like until we're completely done with a game. It's like very taboo for us to start thinking about like a future project while we're still wor- actively working on something. Yeah, I would assume you don't want to think about game design for at least a little bit longer. Like, well, there has to be just this period where you're like, I'm good. N- no, it's not even coming from that place. It's more of like a. It's not that we're. It's not for lack of interest. It's like, it's it's because of a. It's more of like a don't count your chickens before they hatch type of mindset of like um. The the circumstances under which we will be making future projects depend really heavily on on some of those factors we talked about earlier in this conversation, like on what side of that spectrum uh, the, you know, in the world where everybody absolutely detested Pyre and it did miserably versus the world we live in where it was well received um, and did well enough for us to go and make another game. um, Those like, if we had, gotten all our hopes set on what we're going to do next it's like there's just no point in really thinking about it until we see how the dust settles on a on a given project um and we also have a lot of there's a lot of incentive for us to just do our do our best uh on on the thing that's right in front of us because because the future what we do in the present is what is what determines our our ability to do things in the future Absolutely. And just broadly, and this is maybe a little bit more of a technical question. Uh, when you look at Pyre, how much time were you spending most days, not only writing dialogue, but also the book of rights? Cause I feel like each studio is very different where maybe a lot of the heavy writing happens after all the concepting, after some of the other aspects of the game start coming together. But you know, you being very, uh, integral to the story of the game and this game being so focused on dialogue, so focused on character. Um, what was kind of your process for that? How much was, were you just spending like every single day, eight to 10 hours, like writing just piles and piles of dialogue? No, I mean, I did uh, like uh, the, uh, both yes and no. I mean, I did a lot like write, writing is ultimately as a percentage of my time. It's, it's like not a majority percentage on any oh, of the wow. games I've worked on, including Pyre, um, which has a lot of writing. Um, like like at least uh as a relative to our previous games and i think and i think uh relative to most games as well uh, maybe not to like witcher 3 or whatever it's <laughs> yeah. it's not it's not a super long game but it's um the word count was a lot higher than our previous games put it that way um the uh there's a lot of what you could call iteration which means writing stuff rewriting it often throwing it out wholesale and just redoing it um a lot of that um yeah i would say like a probably at least half probably more than half of the stuff i wrote on pyre uh is not in the game like it was not was not uh suitable for the game that we shipped yeah um so 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 uh, uh, yeah, what's what's left is the stuff that that sort of made it uh, made it through, uh, and then and then on in addition to that, um, I do I I I did most of the campaign. I built like 
I, 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 I build and script the actual kind of events themselves. So the, mm-hmm. the writing is just like doesn't exist in a vacuum at any point. Uh, yeah, there's a lot of stuff. There's I, I was responsible for the campaign uh, yeah. portion of it, the the stuff basically outside of the rights, uh, but but inclusive of like story events within the rights. And then uh, Amir and Gavin co- collaborated closely on the on the rights gameplay and tuning all the characters and and so on. Um, I, I also did like uh, uh, the audio scripting, so so music scripting and all the voiceover scripting. Um, uh, which which are pretty big uh, tasks as well. Like we have a our our uh, our like announcer character was a pretty a significant amount of work and had had a, on on his own uh, he had like a word count and line count that was comparable to our last two games. And then on top of that, we had all the um all the text uh all the text story, which is like most of the story. Um, yeah. And then and then there's uh, all the like uh, the the fake language that we made and scripting all that stuff too. So there was a lot of stuff that I did on, <laughs> and then the book, the book of rights was like a, the book of rights was like a, that was a not small undertaking, but a tiny drop in the bucket uh, in the, like, in what was a big project for us. It was a three year well, project. So it I have a question busy. about the book of rights too, yeah. because it sounds like from everything you said, you're not afraid to throw away work if you need to throw away work for better work. Like In this writing process, you have yeah. to go through a lot of iterations, but when you're doing something like the Book of Rights, which I would assume is, you know, maybe not the biggest undertaking in the entire game, but still a lot of text you had to put together. Was it, I don't know if fear is the right word, but did you ever fear like, man, people are just going to skip this entire thing because the Book of Rights is optional? I mean, it, it's all this oh, backstory. Yeah. It's a lot that you can go through, but I, I know I would assume a lot of people maybe never even touch that. Yeah, I have I have no fear around that. Like, I, I think that it's, it, Pyre is like optional content the game. <laughs> like, like one of my, I think one of the best characters in the game is a completely, or I don't know, I wouldn't, I, I love all the characters, so I'm surprised I just said it that way, but like, <laughs> a character that stood out to many people, um, just, I'll, I'll put it that way, like a, like a, a fan favorite character is a completely 100% optional character. You could go through the entire game without ever interacting with her once, but she's also a character with whom you can develop one of the, uh, one of the most kind of intense relationships out of all the characters. Wait, which character is that? Um, uh, that's Sandra in the Beyonder Crystal. Oh, okay. Um, so, so she, uh, the part where, like, like I don't, I don't make games for people who, like, for people who, like, I don't care about people skipping content because that's just most people. Like, most people won't play this game. You know what mm-hmm. I'm saying? Like, I, I'm yeah. not making the game for them. I'm making the game for the people who don't skip the content. Who who choose to like I I think the optional nature of it um, makes it more interesting. It makes it and 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 less uh, tedious. Honestly, like the there were even around uh, even around transistor. I remember getting emails about um, a certain point in the story. I got what uh, at least a couple of really like intense uh, emails about how how like sort of emotional a certain part of the, of the story was. That was like a, a completely, um, it was completely optional, um, yeah. and 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 the question may come up like, well, why if it's so good, like why is it optional? And it's like, well, part of why it's good is that it's optional because yep. the player the player chose to have that happen. Uh, cho- and and in the case of the Book of Rights, we wanted like part of the experience of it is to have like basically 
like a re- something that authentically feels like uh, almost like a religious text in the game. And yeah. those are not page turners. Uh, uh, you could take it from me <laughs> for those who haven't read <laughs> the the ones that exist in the real world. Like they they're they're very they're um they're dense works. Uh, they're very interesting and intricate, but they're but they're not like uh, you know. I so so we are very open to the idea that some players may be like, I'm not reading all that, and yeah. and backing away from it. And we thought that that would actually add to the mystique of of this artifact in the game. And part of part of making the rights like feel real to us was um was having this book actually be in there that like ties together. Um, all aspects of of the fiction and and the world, and can feel dense and and kind of labyrinthine and hard to get through. But you know, if you choose to get through it, like all everything is written in there. If yeah. uh, so, so that that was just like a fun. It was a fun part of the project. Uh, it it did take it like many other aspects of the game. It took its twists and turns uh, during development. Um, but we were really interested in having like an in-game rule book essentially um from from very early in the project and the the book of rights is the final form that it took yeah i would assume it's a careful balance with that sort of you know maybe not hidden content but optional content like you mentioned where you'd maybe you don't want to put all of your best stuff in a spot that some people might miss but you also don't want to if people are searching for it and putting the time into seeing the entire game you want that stuff to be worthwhile it's like when people yeah buy dlc and some people complain like oh this is the best stuff i wasn't this in the final game but it's also like well don't you want good content like that's the point of the additional things like that i mean yeah. you look back like a, a silly example when i played final fantasy 7 when i was younger i missed the entire vincent storyline and people later on were like no there's an entirely different character who was playable that you missed oh was and he skippable? he was skippable wasn't he he was yeah oh man and, i like, forgot that was, about that yeah, yeah he's a, uh, and he's an awesome character. Playthrough. right he really is and he's yeah, interesting yeah. and it's one of those things where uh, I wasn't angry. I was more like, oh, now I need to play it again to yeah, see that. Yeah. And there is a lot of that to Pyre where, you know, you if you play it a certain way, you might get closer to certain characters than others. You might learn different things. Like you mentioned, there's entire optional characters. And yeah. we talked a little bit about this earlier with the liberation rights. But uh, what? how much extra work has to go into knowing that certain players are going to be missing certain characters at different parts in the game. Like at, at, a lot. There's entire, <laughs> there's entire conversation trees where you're like, okay, yeah. well this person doesn't have this person. So these yeah. characters can't interact at this point. It's, it, it has to be just entire like labyrinth for you. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That stuff, that stuff was a lot of work. Um, the, the two, that was a big factor in, in the, in the like complexity of the of the narrative design and also just the scope of the writing work and then the other factor that's directly related but not exactly the same is the part where there's no game over state um that the game basically uh supports a playthrough where the player can at any point uh fail um and so there's like entirely like wildly different uh narrative outcomes for the characters you know to, because basically part of the liberation rights is if you fail them your character does your character doesn't go away and instead one of your opponents goes away um so and then their whole ending changes and and your your character's ending changes and so on so oh, yeah. all that um uh that stuff like the no game over aspect i would say is the is the part that if we just 
thought it would be fine to game over you after a write, um, that would have reduced the scope of the game really substantially. Um, and that's another one of those things where we knew full well many, many players would basically just play the game as though that were the case. They, yeah. Because because playing other video games has trained them that def, like loss is not an acceptable outcome. And when you when you lose, you you start over and you play until you win. It's just that in real life, that's not how it works. And part of the fantasy of video games is that we can try over and over until we get it right. But we can't do that in real life. And we were interested yeah. in emulating that experience in Pyre, where like you just have to, like I said, you have to pick yourself up and move on from having learned from your defeats and having learned from your setbacks. Um, so it was important to us uh, sort of spiritually um, for the game and for the experience we were trying to create, but we knew that uh, it would be like a relatively, for, for the amount of work that went into supporting that aspect of the game, it would be like a relatively subtle aspect of the experience that, that not, that not, all players of the game would 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 get but for the players that do get it um mm. they will probably have the most intense and meaningful experience with the game so it's kind of like we want our games to be personal um so we balance like authorship and linearity and and also like aspects of non-linearity and and player expression to make for something that that we we try to make these games, yeah, like I said, that that feel personal but still have a narrative leaning to them instead of yeah. like games that are purely sort of quote unquote player story driven, like like a Minecraft or something, right? Is like mm. there's no there's no there's tons of like player or, or player unknowns battlegrounds, a more contemporary example. It's a it's a player story generator. Like everyone can gather around the water cooler and, and talk about like their awesome like PUBG run or something like that, but that's yeah. obviously n not the kind of like narrative. That's not the kind of player story that, at least thus far, that we've been uh, uh, like chasing after with our games. It, it, we do balance, you know, traditional narrative and and like the uh, and and I guess like interactive, uh, more more nonlinear narrative in our games. And so yeah, Pyre Pyre was our uh, attempt to. You know, having having done the stuff with voiceover in our previous games, we we wanted to see what we could do with text uh, this time, like basically like a explorer, like interactive fiction in this other way. Yeah, well, and you're right about the the personal nature of it because the people I did talk to who also beat it after I beat it, we we had like you said, there's this main kind of thread through everything. There there's a story that's being told, but you have very different interpretations of certain things, very different characters yeah. who you fell for, very different dialogue trees that they followed, and you know who was liberated first at what point. So it's not like you mentioned the oh my god, I had the most intense game of. PUBG where I flipped a car, jumped out, shot a guy off a motorcycle, but there is a certain water cooler nature to it that I, I really do enjoy. And speaking of the non-linear nature of it, do you have data telling you how many people the mustache sequence early on, which uh, had a lot of uh, talk. Do you have data on like who suggested the mustache go and who suggested it that stay? Oh, uh, no. We we actually don't... We don't have data on... on uh, basically on any of it, which maybe oh, there's sort no of, like Walking Dead at the end, like no, seventy no. percent of it, people said no to the mustache. No, maybe it may be sort of um, that may be um, 
sort of tragic, but I kind of, <laughs> I, I kind of like it. Like in a, I, I secretly kind of, li- and obviously not secretly because I'm just saying it right now. But I, um, <laughs> in a, in a time when like everyone's data about every little thing that they do is being stored in a computer somewhere, I'm glad that we don't know anything about any decisions yep. that anyone made in Pyre. Those are your decisions. Those are the players' decisions. Uh, that's how yeah. I rationalize it to myself. I, yeah. like, here's the thing. We're not going to do anything with that data. That's why we don't collect it. Mm-hmm. And it, it's just more honest to, like, let players... So, yeah, I mean, I, I, I it would, like, be interesting. We could have, like, released that data, and that would have been fun. Something around, like, the, yeah, the rookie mustache choice or something, but we never, yeah, we never set that up. We actually had some of that in, in Transistor, um, the, where it's framed much more like what it sounds like, where they're actual like voting terminals, and we did mm-hmm. uh, gather data around those, um, which was very in theme with that game. But but in Pyre, yeah, all that stuff is uh, is lost to the wind, and we don't know. We know uh, anecdotally, um, but we don't we don't have any real way of knowing other than like. Um, even even our achievement so achievement data is tracked and and on like PlayStation 4 oh, yeah. it'll even tell you you know 2.1% of players like got this trophy or something like that uh but but even with our our trophy design is such that we uh, we we don't really we don't want to skew people's decisions one way or another so there there are very few trophies that are like related to narrative choices I wish the mustache was like the one thing you tracked, though. Yeah, like at the that very might end. That's the only data they give you. Where like, I, here's the actual split. I feel like it's pretty close, like because it was born of a debate on the that that moment. Back to the, that moment in the game is like one of the oldest surviving moments in the story. Actually, <laughs> ironic really? for such like a frivolous uh, kind of moment, but um, that was born of a. Uh, an internal uh, team debate as to whether the character design, whether it was like an appropriate decision for the character design. We had people on the team that are like, Oh man, that mustache, I'm not feeling it. And it's like, dude, (laughs) let's, let's just, let's just put this choice in the game. That'll be a good, it's, I, I always look for those kind of moments where the whole tone of the experience can come together in something that's on like, like an early funny moment like that is is really really valuable to me. Um, like even the part where it's funny, um, yeah, because it's just it sets the tone. Um, it sets up that Empire, you know, it's not Walking Dead, it's not who lives and who dies, but you know what? This is still like a <laughs> this actually is a permanent decision. Um, yeah. and and it uh, for me it yeah I was I was I was glad that that was when I think like even the the internal debate we were having around it and how it manifested into an in-game moment that was when we were uh, really starting to find our footing with the kind of game that we were going to make yeah it endears you to the character too like right away you're like all right I, i'm invested now yeah and the last thing i wanted to cover and it, it's funny I, I rarely notice sound design in games which i know is bad like you it's probably something you should pay attention to but i know back when i was reviewing games for kevin van Ord, that was one of the things that always stuck out where I would get questions like, how did the game, like, what was the soundtrack yeah. like? And I just never noticed. But, I mean, Pyre and all the other games you guys work on, it, it always uses music and sound so expertly, both within story sequences and during writes, so that it's something that stuck with me. Other than awesome. the character interactions, the writing, the dialogue, that was something that really stuck out for me. I mean, like, it's, it's, there's this presentational harmony that 
I feel like maybe only comes from a small team working so closely together compared to you look at, and this, I could be entirely off base here, but if you're on a major studio, very often there's kind of these silo different teams. And maybe when you put the puzzle pieces together, they don't fit exactly how you want every single time because it's a major project. You can't work together the entire time. But for you, do you think that being the smaller team working together for so long uh, and putting a lot of value into how the game sounds. Do you think that's what leads to a game where music is so important? And again, the, the liberation, right? Original music song like that at the very end, I, I, I still think about that. I still YouTube it. So is, do you think yeah. being a small team helps with the sound design? Yeah. Uh, yeah I, I think it absolutely does. Like, I think, I think that we're, we're really fortunate to have, uh, to be working with Darren Korb, uh, as as our audio director, Darren is extraordinarily talented uh, as a musician. Um, but the other part of it is that, w- like we we know from day one that music and audio is going to be important to our game. It's just something that we make a priority. Like D- Darren is there, integral to our development process from the start, and that enables us to do more with music than if we just like commissioned Darren to like send us a bunch of cool music in the last month yeah. of production or in the last year of production or something like that. We would still get really awesome Darren Corb music, but the way the degree to which we integrate it into the game um would would be uh, significantly diminished. And and I think like we just we know the value of music and audio to our games. We know that it's this like not so secret weapon that our games have like to the extent that we're trying to create a particular tone and create a, an emotional experience for players uh and the audio is is crucial to that so we were thinking about what can the music do what can the audio do for our games from day 1 and then we are collaborating super closely uh with Darren and uh just you know we we just the the part where we we value it so highly is what uh i think it's it, it can't be expected that 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 players will you know in, enjoy the the audio of a game as much as, like the the response to the audio of our games is always like sort of blown me away yeah. uh though it's not anything i take for grant it's not anything i take for granted either but it's it, i i do think it's made possible by like how much we we give it priority uh, during during development, and uh, I I I wish I've always really valued audio uh, in games myself. But while but but I know I the 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 thing you said I think it's like audio works often in a really subtle way, and it's one of those things. It's kind of like user interface where like sometimes you only notice it when it's really bad. Yep. Like. When user interface is great, you just kind of often don't even know that it's there. It just kind of feels intuitive, and audio can sort of work that way, where it just it just feels right. Suddenly, you're like, "Oh man, this game feels great. I love the world. I love the story. I love the gameplay." And it's like actually the audio <laughs> is there, sort of like <laughs> buttressing all of those aspects in a weird way. And l- like if you you know as an experiment, take take your favorite game and turn the volume off and see see if you could even play it like for me games become like unplayable when i turn yeah. when i turn the audio games i enjoy uh where the audio is a good part it uh i it has to be there so anyway the, um it's 
yeah, it's something that I'm I'm glad that we've we've really found our footing there. And it, we used to Darren used to be in New York, uh, so we would we uh, while we're in California, um, so we would work with him uh, remotely. But from um, all, for for all of Pyre, he was there right in the studio, and yeah, the the close collaboration definitely lets us do a lot of our fancier tricks. Those tricks really come through in combat too, especially again those those liberation rights where if someone you know just dives headfirst into the opponent's pyre, kind of the music just quiets in the perfect way, where suddenly it's just the voice. Yeah, it's again like yeah, you said, just- most most of that stuff uh, when it sticks out, it's because it's bad, uh, and in your case. It's. I've always just appreciated the music because I know it's, I, I notice it, and that's in a very positive way. Uh, yeah, Greg. Cool. Last thing: where could people find you and the team on social media? And of course, I you guys are, you know, not immediately making a game right now. But what's kind of the game plan for Supergiant moving forward? Do you have anything in mind for the rest of the year that you're going to start concepting, or are you just waiting until 2018? Yeah, uh, we we we're always keeping busy uh, at Supergiant. I would say, but it's definitely a quieter like. Uh, it's it's been a it's been a number of weeks now, uh, like a month and a half or so since Pyre came out. So so things have things have settled down for us for the first time in a while, and uh, and and it's 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 a good it's a really good time for us to to reflect and and think about what's next. Um, and thankfully, uh, Pyre has uh, has put us in a position to be able to stick together as a team and keep making games, which is all that we. Which is the the basic objective that we have with every game that we work on is so that it could do well enough for us to stick around and make another one after that. Um, and uh, we are, yeah. So that's pretty much where we're at, and we're we're Super Giant Games on on Twitter and and on the World Wide Web, and I, I can be reached <laughs> at just uh, Kasavin on Twitter. My last name K A S A V I N. We're always yeah. I'm always around on the internet seeing what's up and back to back to playing games and catching up on games and stuff so that that feels good and and yeah it's just uh it, looking forward to getting getting another shot at 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 making something like i i've been in game development for over 10 years now and it's just always continued to be uh both both humbling and just a real it's just a real privilege to get to work on this stuff um not yeah. something i i take for granted um so I'm I'm very very grateful for the support that our games uh, have continued to receive, and it it means that I get to keep doing it, and I want to keep doing it for as long as I can keep doing it. So here's here's yeah. to here's to many more, um, and and I'm I'm it's just such a it's such a vibrant time for games right now that that despite whatever uh, surreal let's let's generously call them surreal aspects. Uh, uh of the world these days um games games have always been there for me and i think they're in a really good spot right now so it's i'm i'm glad i'm glad to have i'm glad to have them in my life as ever so yeah absolutely i mean like we talked about earlier 2017 has been amazing for games but still a a new super giant game always feels like a holiday for me there's there's something really cool about seeing what you guys put together whether it be an announcement at an e3 or a pax or anything like that or and then when the final game actually comes out yours one of the one of the few like series is a weird way to put it one of the few studios where i I never really i look at the initial like teaser trailer and i'm like i want to see nothing i'm just going to play it when it actually comes out so 
uh thanks so much for doing this greg it, it's i always love kind of going in depth about this stuff pyre is you know in a crowded year one of my favorite games and I, I really do look forward to seeing what you guys put together next after you take a break and play all the other rad games that come out this year yeah right on thank you all right perfect uh thanks everyone for listening hopefully tune back in for the next episode of the 1099